as I was uh, sitting in the chair listening to the testimonies, uh, the only word that could come to mind was sacred. The only word that could come to mind was sacred. To be drawn into such an intimate space, suffering is a real thing. It's an intimate thing, and uh, my heart was encouraged by the stories of testimony, by the reality that God really is faithful, and that Christ really is all that we have. So it, it's with that that I, I get to come behind you all and talk about rejoicing in suffering. Talk about rejoicing and suffering. The phrase itself sounds so odd, doesn't it? Rejoicing and suffering. These two don't seem to coexist. These, seem, these two don't seem to go together. Rejoicing and suffering. Even for myself, so often when I think about these two ideas, you can have one without the other. You have suffering. Where suffering exists, there can be no thanksgiving, can there? Or where there is thanksgiving and rejoicing, suffering has to be absent, right? This is not God's perspective. It's not what we see in the Bible, and it's not what we heard tonight. As Christians, we have this secret that God himself has given us that we who suffer can rejoice at the same time. When suffering is mentioned in the Bible, rejoicing, joy is somewhere found close at hand. Rejoicing is always somewhere following behind suffering. Listen to this. Listen to a couple verses. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Romans 5.3, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. James 1, consider it, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. And Peter has something to say too. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. This biblical reality that we have the power to rejoice in suffering does not negate the grief. It does not negate the pain. It does not negate the heartache. What it does is anchor us in it. This biblical reality doesn't buffer the pain of unexpected diagnosis. It doesn't negate the pain of divorce, 
of unmet expectations. But what it does is it anchors us to hold firm. But the question is this, why? Why are we able to still give thanks? Testimony after testimony, we're hearing a circumstance and we're hearing people say, I still thank God. Why is it that we are able to do this? And I think the Bible lays it out from Genesis to Revelation. It gives us an abundance of reasons. I just want to give a couple that are personal to me that I pray would be an encouragement to you. First, you have a God who is aware of every single thing that is causing you to suffer. You have a God who is aware of everything you are going through. Exodus 3, 7. Listen to what the Lord says. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. This is during the time when the Israelites are under oppression, under the hand of Pharaoh. I have seen my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying. And I am concerned about their suffering. God saw what they were dealing with. God heard their cries, and God was concerned for them. He cared. This is your God. He sees, he hears, and he is concerned for what you are going through. Have you ever been around someone who had those noise-canceling headphones? Have you ever been trying to get their attention? Waving. Hear me out! The God we serve never has a man. He hears you. He is aware and he is concerned. He has not forgotten you. He will never forget you. He sees, he hears, and he is concerned. And for this reason, we can give thanks, even in our suffering. But not only that, you have a God who is with you in your suffering. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close the Lord is near the brokenhearted. Not only is he aware, he is near you. He has slid close up to you. But what I am so reminded of through these testimonies, not just Yahweh, but his people come close in suffering. In the body of Christ, as the people of God, as the child of God, you are not alone in your sufferings. God himself has promised to be with you close, and he has provided a body of people who can't answer why, who can't answer how, but who will be there with you. And for that, we can give thanks. Look around. This is who God, in his grace, has given you to walk through hardships in life with. 
You are not alone. And God makes that even more crystal clear in sending his son, Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us. He has promised to be with us, and he will always be with us in our sufferings. Not only do we have a theology of nearness, but Reformed folk, we love our big God theology. We love it. We have a theology of nearness. God is close, but we also hold tightly to a theology of bigness. God is in control of your sufferings. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. He is in control of everything that happens, doesn't happen in your life. He is in control. Joni Erickson Tata, she's paralyzed, and she said something that I have thought about a a lot over the last couple years. She says this, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Look no further than the cross. Look no further than the cross. Look, Acts 2 tells us Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of God. What happened on the cross on Calvary was no incident. It wasn't uh, by accident or happen chance. God himself rolled out that plan. God permitted what he hates, the death of his son, to accomplish what he loves, the salvation of his people. He used suffering and he was in control of every strike to Jesus' head. He was in control of everything and he did it to accomplish what he loves. How wonderful, how wonderful is it to know the God you serve will not let one thing happen to you that hasn't gone through his hands. Believer, how wonderful is it to know? And if you have yet to follow Jesus, where do you go? I implore you to come to the one who is in control of all things. Come to the one who has the world in the palm of his hand. Come to the one who is in the heavens and does all that he pleases. For this, because our God is in control, we can give thanks. The fourth reason is you have a God who is using your suffering for a purpose. He's using your suffering for a purpose. Not one cut from the divine divine vine dresser is by mistake. Not one cut, not one source of grief that you have ever had or will have is in vain. Everything that has happened to you or will happen to you is for a purpose. Every cut, every clip for a purpose. 
2 Corinthians 4 says, for this light and momentary affliction, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He is using your suffering to prepare you. And I love how Zach said this. In the middle of it, that's not what we're, we, we feel. We don't. But somehow, God is using this to prepare us. So you did not draw a bad hand in life. You did not get, it was the luck of the draw. It wasn't this impersonal karma that's paying back for something bad you did years ago. No, it is the personal God, the real God, your father, who is taking you through trials, who is preparing you. He's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For this, even when we don't get it, even in the dark nights of the soul, even when we can't sleep at night, we can rejoice. I don't know why, but Lord, I trust. And when you make it through the other side, which you will, even as Zach rolled off ways, he has grown. You can't learn that in seminary. You can't learn that just in a Bible study. You learn that through the crucible of affliction. And lastly but not least, you have a God who is reminding you of the power and the glory and the beauty of the resurrection. For God, suffering is like a divine alarm clock waking us up to where life really is, waking us up to what we really have, waking us up, waking us up to life. We all can get a little distracted sometimes. We all set our gaze a little lower than where God wants them. But through suffering, God reminds us that this is not our home. He reminds us that all you have whether you know it or not, this very moment is Christ. That's all you have. That's all I have right now. Whether your medical bill or your medical plate is perfect, all you have is Christ. And he is teaching us this through suffering. Through suffering, he is reminding us of the beauty of the resurrection, the beauty of the life to come, the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to what John says in Revelation. This is where God is taking us as his people. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. What God is doing through suffering is he is loosening our grip on this world and he is tightening our grip on the life to come. He is loosening our grips on what we think life really is. And he is tightening our grip on all I have is Christ. To know Christ and him crucified. And now, through suffering, you know it. This world is not how it was meant to be. You know it, that this world is not how God designed it at first. And sin has ripped and ravaged and has broken this. And God says no. New heavens, new earth. For this, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of heartache, we can still give thanks. Suffering shows no favoritism. It's no respecter of persons. It doesn't take into consideration people's age, family, your hopes, your dreams, the expectations you had. And unfortunately, it breaks my heart to know that as I look out on this congregation, suffering is coming for us all. That's what it means to live in a sin-riddled world. But God's word teaches us that in God's economy, suffering and joy are not mutually exclusive. Suffering and thanksgiving can coexist. And on the contrary, from God's perspective, as hard as this is to believe, and I pray that you were able to sense this as they were ministering to us up here, that in the places of our deepest pain, God himself provides the deepest joy. It doesn't make sense. But in our deepest pain, somehow the God of the universe provides our deepest joy himself. So even though we have suffering ahead of us, what kind, I'm not sure. There is no need to walk forward in fear there's no need to walk forward in trepidation because the God who is your God has promised us that suffering is the seedbed of joy in his economy. And for that, we can still give thanks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, you are good to your people. You are good. I pray that we would be able to trust you. I pray this in Christ's name.